Hear the word of the Lord this morning from John 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you were asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen. Have you ever wondered how Christians have been able to Endure sorrow and tribulation with joy and peace in their lives. I read a little article this week from pastor, Canadian pastor and author Tim Challies about the death, unexpected death of his 21-year-old son. He was uh, at Boyce College pursuing a degree in the ministry and actually doing a dual track there on track to not only attain his degree, but a seminary degree and pursue a life in ministry. Uh, he had been recently engaged and because of a, a heart defect at 21 years of age, his heart just stopped beating and Pastor Challey's son died unexpectedly. Tim Challies talked about how their family has been able to endure 
such hardship and tribulation and sorrow. He wrote about that wonderful hymn that, that we all know. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus, what? Blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And then that course of that hymn uses an analogy, a biblical analogy. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. They found that to be true of their lives. And then he began to explain the second verse, and I had never thought about this before, how the, the hymn mixes analogies from the chorus to the second verse. Uses a, a sailing analogy in the second verse. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, there's the sailing analogy, right? You get this analogy of a storm battering a ship. In every high and stormy gale, what's the hymn say? Does it say, my anchor holds on the rock? You would expect it to say that because the chorus has said, on Christ the solid rock I stand. But the hymn doesn't say that. My anchor holds within the veil. They begin to explain that when we are anchored to Christ, he says, you know, you imagine a ship weighing anchor and this massive anchor dropping down, connected to a chain, down to the bottom of an ocean in the middle of a storm, and that the crew is hoping beyond hope that the anchor attaches to something that is unseen below the surface of the water to steady the ship. But the hymn doesn't say that. The hymn says that our anchor holds within the veil. The veil is a reference to the veil in heaven where Christ has gone into the holy place for you and for me because of His perfect work where He has made perfect atonement for our sin and accomplished our redemption. And Tim Challey says, he says, it's as though there were an anchor not going down to the bottom of the ocean, but ascending up into heaven and attaching itself to the Lord Jesus Christ and the perfect work that He has done for us. In our passage today, Jesus is finishing the farewell discourse and all that is left for Him to do in preparing His disciples for the hurricane that is approaching them is to pray for them. And He is helping to prepare them for the sorrow and the tribulation and the anguish and the hardship that will ensue because of the cross. And He tells them that joy and peace accompany them through sorrow and tribulation. And the same is true for us. Even though we live in a different time and face different problems, but like the disciples, the promises of Jesus here are for us as well. That when we go through sorrow and tribulation, joy and peace are there to accompany us. Why? Because our anchor is attached to Christ. 
It is not reaching down, hoping beyond hope that the anchor holds to something unseen below the water, but it extends up into heaven that when darkness veils His lovely face, we rest on His unchanging grace and the anchor is secure and holds there. No matter what storm of life we weather and endure. Peace is not the absence of tribulation in the world. Jesus says that here in this passage, doesn't He? He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. So peace is not the absence of tribulation. Peace comes from having your life anchored on the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joy is not the happiness derived from an absence of hardship. Joy is not the happiness derived from the absence of sorrow. Joy is the celebration. It is the rest that we find in the peace of knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ has finished His work for us. It's celebrating that. So what I want us to do is answer this question this morning as we look at this passage. How can we have joy and peace accompany us through sorrow and tribulation in this life? We'll answer that question from this text as we draw our attention to the past, present, and future work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's where joy and peace come from. When we look to the past, present, and future work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first, let's look at the past. Joy and peace come from knowing that Christ has already received your judgment. There's the work in the past. Joy and peace come from knowing that Christ has already received your judgment. Let me show you this in this passage. In a little while, Jesus explains, they will see him no more. In a little while, he'll be arrested. In a little while, they will speak with him no more. In a little while, they will see him beaten. In a little while, they will see him nailed to a cross. In a little while, they will be filled with great sorrow and anguish in their hearts. But in a little while, Jesus assures them, they will see him again. Why? Because in a little while, Jesus is going to resurrect from the dead. They're going to see Jesus again. They're going to see Jesus having gone to the cross, die upon that cross, and then come up out of the grave, defeating death, hell, in the grave. So in a little while, they'll see Him on the cross, but that's okay, Jesus says. In a little while you'll see me again. Jesus compares their sorrow to that of a woman giving birth. Do you see that here in this passage? Look at verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Jesus is speaking about labor pains, contractions, that the painful contractions that uh, grasp a woman in the hour when her time for delivery has come. Can't help but to think about uh, before modern medicine, right? There's no epidurals here in this passage, right? No epidurals whatsoever. 
This is the, the pain and the agony and the sorrow and the grief of delivering a child without the benefit of modern medicine. And so Jesus draws upon that. And he says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. She is filled with agony and grief. However, it only lasts a little while, doesn't it? For when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. The moment the child is born, Jesus says, what pain and agony? I don't remember any of that. Now, I can't give any personal testimony to this. I'll just go with what Jesus says in this passage. Alright? All the sorrow, all the grief, all the pain was worth it as soon as the baby is born. Why? For the joy that a human being has been born into the world. The joy of new life outweighs the grief and agony of the labor pains. That's what Jesus was saying. Now this was a common analogy used in the Old Testament, especially by the prophets of God's judgment. It's in the book of Jeremiah. It's in Micah. It's also in different places in Isaiah where when God pours out His judgment, God's people are gripped with anguish and pain. They're, they're bent over. I think in Jeremiah, I'm looking at Travis. Travis is preaching through Jeremiah. I even think that it describes men who look like they're in labor pain. Doesn't Jeremiah mention that, right? They, huh? Chapter 30, right? Even men, when God's judgment is poured out upon them, they are bent over as if they were in labor pains. Jesus specifically here, He picks up on this common analogy of the prophets and He references Isaiah 26. But He does so in a twist. Let me read some of Isaiah 26 to you. It says, Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs, when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of You, O Lord. So you notice the lament of God's people. They've come under God's judgment and it has meant pain upon pain and agony upon agony. And this is because the Lord has poured out His judgment. He has poured out His wrath upon them. Well, what did it produce? They say in Isaiah 26, in this lament, we were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to what? To wind, is what they say in this lament. Because of God's judgment, we have endured horrible agonies, terrible pain, awful grief and sorrow. And what has it produced for us? We've delivered the wind, they said. It produced nothing for us. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen, they say in this lament in Isaiah 26. What Jesus does, and this is so awesome here in John chapter 16, He takes Isaiah 26 and He twists Isaiah 26 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When judgment and wrath from God are poured out upon God's people, it does not produce in them anything but the wind. But when God's wrath and judgment are poured out upon Christ, God's people receive joy that cannot be taken from them. 
You see, joy and peace accompany Christians through sorrow and tribulation, especially as they realize and remember and look back and know that Christ has already received your judgment. Think about the way that the Apostle Paul describes the Christian life in 2 Corinthians. He says that we have a treasure in what? Jars of clay. You think about little flower pots, right? On a windowsill. And how fragile those flower pots are. That if a a wind comes by or one of my dear sweet children come by and knock that flower pot and it goes down to to the floor or to the ground, what does it do almost every time? It breaks and shatters, doesn't it? And the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, he says that we have this treasure in jars of clay. They are frail. They are fragile. They, they appear like they can be easily broken. However, God has done this so that we might know the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So that when we endure sorrow and tribulation and we have come through that, we should have been crushed. But we're not crushed because Christ was crushed for us. And then we know that God's power is at work and on display in us. Beautifully, the Apostle Paul postulates on this, that we, are, we face tribulation, using the same word that's here in John 16. But we are not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. And then, he considers all of the hardships and the tribulation that we face in this life, and he carries it through the worst possible thing that we can endure in this life, and that is death. And even death, Paul says, is temporary. He reflects on all this, and he calls the sorrows and the tribulations of this life, listen to this, light and momentary afflictions. Light and momentary afflictions. Why? They are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Isn't that awesome to think about? You can't achieve peace in this life by your work. You cannot achieve peace in this life by securing yourself and insulating yourself from all sorrow and hardship whatsoever. You can't achieve peace in this life, but you can know peace if you know that Christ has already received your judgment. You cannot will yourself to joy. You can't just decide in your mind, well, I think today I'm going to be joyful even though I'm going through horrible anguish and tribulation and sorrow in my life. But you can joyfully celebrate the work that Christ has done for you upon the cross. Dear Christian, that is how joy and peace accompany Christians through sorrow and tribulation. It is when we look back in the past and know that Christ has already received our judgment. 
There's a second thing I want to show you here, the way that joy and peace accompany Christians through sorrow and tribulation, and it is in the present work of Christ. So Jesus here, he, he changes from speaking about His past work and moving to His present work for the disciples. He talks about prayer, doesn't He? Look at verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of Me. Why is that, Jesus? Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in My name, He will give to you. So joy and peace come from knowing that Christ gives you access to a loving Father. That is the work of Christ for you in the present. So in the past, it comes from knowing that Christ has already received your judgment. In the present, it comes from knowing that Christ gives you access to a loving Father. He immediately moves to the fellowship the disciples have with the Father in prayer. Even though Jesus is going to be departing from them, they are not left without fellowship. They will be able to go in His name, on His behalf, directly to the Father and have communion with Him. That is the present work of Jesus that continues to this day. That is why we always pray in His name, right? That isn't a formula when we conclude our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. It is recognizing that Christ is currently seated at the right hand of God the Father. He has gone beyond the veil and He has made a way for us to have access to a Father who loves us. Jesus tells them something is about to change in salvation history. Look at verse 24. Until now you have asked nothing in My name. Why? Jesus hasn't gone to the Father yet, but soon He will go to the Father. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So when you feel like you are joyless and peaceless, remember that you have access to a loving Father and go to Him in prayer is what Jesus is saying. And then he gives three reasons. Three reasons to have confidence in prayer. Look with me at verse 27. Or 28. Let's look at verse 28 first. Three reasons. First, because he's come from the Father and has gone, come into the world, and now he's leaving the world and going to the Father. So I've already said this. You already know the answer, right? So the first reason to have confidence in prayer is the work of Jesus. He has come. He has died, He is resurrected, and He's gone where? To the Father, where He is presently. Secondly, they can have confidence in prayer because, look at verse 27, the end of verse 27, you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. So they have faith, is what Jesus is saying. And because they have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and love Him, they enjoy access to the Father. Well, why? Don't miss this third reason. And these are all connected. It's there in verse 27. It's so important, I wanted to mention it last. Look at verse 27. For the Father Himself loves you. The Father Himself loves you. You know, motives matter, don't they? Imagine a young man proposing to a young woman 
He gets down on one knee and he pulls out a ring and he asks for her hand in marriage. And let's suppose that in that moment that she says, before I answer yes or no, why do you want to marry me? That's the kind of question that I expected my wife to ask when I proposed to her. Let's suppose that that young man begins to sweat bullets and he begins to stumble over his words. Well, you know, I'm not getting any younger and I want to go ahead and, and settle on someone. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Let's suppose he says, well, you know, I've dated a lot of different women and out of all the women that I have dated before, you are the best out of them all. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Let's suppose that he says, well, you know, I come from a poor family, but your family is very wealthy, and so I figured that if I could marry you, then I have access to your family's wealth. Wrong answer again, bucko. <laughs> At the top of his list, the first words out of his mouth had better be a profession of his undying love and commitment to her. Motives matter, don't they? Have you ever thought about why you have access to a loving Father? And the reason that you have access to a loving Father is because He loves you first. We had already touched on this today in Sunday school. We are tempted to unhitch God's salvation from His love or His electing grace or His predestination from His love. And the Scripture won't allow us to do that. Ephesians tells us that according to the foreknowledge of God, we, we have been uh, right, predestined to adoption, but it is in what? In love that He has predestined us. That's the reason that God the Father has taken us to Himself to marry us, to make us His bride. Why? It is in His love that He predestined us. And there are times when we might doubt God's love. We might feel like God has removed His love. Or because of our sorrow and tribulation, God is being unloving to us. The scripture won't allow us to draw that conclusion either. You think about Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12, which tells us that God, even in His discipline, it is an affirmation of His love and acceptance for us. Why? Because He disciplines the one He loves and the Son that He has received. Or the Son that He has adopted. Joy and peace accompany Christians through sorrow and tribulation because they know that Christ gives them access to a loving Father. And you feel like life becomes joyless. And many of you, I know your stories, and you know mine. And we have all walked through some joyless days, haven't we? But joy comes from knowing that you have access to a loving Father. One that you can go to in prayer when your life feels like it has no peace and no joy. 
And you can find their joy and peace as a companion through sorrow and through tribulation because of the present work of Christ for you. There's a third reason. Not only the past work of Christ receiving our judgment, not only the present work of Christ giving us access to a loving Father, but because of the future work of Christ. What's the future work of Christ? Let me show it to you here. It's inferred in this passage. Joy and peace come from knowing Christ will finish what He started. Joy and peace come from knowing that Christ will finish what He started. The disciples boast here in their faith in Jesus. They congratulate themselves, beginning in verse 29. Now we know you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Ah, oh, Jesus, now we understand everything that you are saying to us. We understand that you're going to leave and come back. We understand the cross. We understand all the implications. Verse 30, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. Here's the irony. They have been questioning Jesus for chapters. This is why we believe that you came from God. All our questions, Jesus, have been answered and we are ready to put our faith in you. And Jesus says, oh really? Look at verse 31. You can almost hear the tone in Jesus' voice. Do you now believe? Oh, it's, it's fi finally now you're ready to believe. After all the signs, after all the miracles, after all the teaching, after all the conversations, after all this stuff, now you're ready to believe. Oh, really? Jesus tells him, verse, verse 32, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Jesus says. You think your faith is so strong right now? You are going to go through a hurricane and you are going to fail the test. Every single one of you are going to abandon me, Jesus says. Your faith is going to fail. But their faithful Savior isn't going to fail. He's going to finish what He started. Jesus reassures them that He is not alone. The Father is, is with Him, Jesus says here in verse 32. They might leave Him alone. All the others are going to abandon Him. But Jesus says, I'm not alone. My Father is with me. Through the cross, He will not be abandoned. His, his, soul will not, his body will not be abandoned to the grave. Isn't that what we confess? He will not remain in the grave. He will be exalted. He will come up out of the grave. I have said these things to you. Here's the reason. And this is the reason for all the, the farewell discourse. This is the summary statement of, of probably the last what two or three chapters that we've been studying. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. That you may have peace. In this world, you'll have tribulation. Jesus is repeating a word, if you could see it in Greek, the word anguish, in the analogy of the pregnant woman, the word anguish, it's the same word in Greek that's being used here in verse 33 for tribulation. In this world, you'll have anguish. 
In this world, you'll have tribulation. In this world, you will have sorrow. But do what? Take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. He is going to put death to death, is what Jesus is saying. Death will no longer have a rule or reign on earth. We call this inaugurated eschatology. It means that Christ has come and inaugurated His kingdom and He will come one day and consummate His kingdom. We can think about this in a couple of different analogies, right? We can think about it as a noble ruler coming and conquering a wicked kingdom and He rules and reigns on His throne while He makes all His enemies His footstool. That is what Christ is doing now. You can think about a ferocious dog that just uh, terrorizes a neighborhood. And what Christ has done is He has come and He has chained the beast. And while the beast is still barks and if you get close to Him, He'll bite, Satan has been chained. The strong man has been bound. And one day, He'll be cast into the abyss when Christ comes and fully consummates His kingdom. You think about a stolen estate, right? Where Adam and Eve were given uh, to be uh, vice regents over this earth. And then through deception, Satan came and stole what God had called them to steward. But Christ has come to take back and He take it back and He has promised the full inheritance that we will receive one day when He returns. You can think about it in the manner of a physician finding a cure for cancer. One treatment, one pill, one injection. Cancer, no matter what it is, gone in an instant. And what Christ is doing in this present evil age is He is giving those who seek Him the medicine that they need to cure their souls from the cancer of sin. You want to know how you and I can be kept from being overcome by sorrow and tribulation in this life, which we will have. We will have it. We maintain an eternal hope. We maintain an eternal perspective knowing that these light and momentary afflictions are working for us a greater glory, a treasure that is kept in heaven waiting for us and that one day Christ, He will return. And His kingdom that He has inaugurated here on this earth will be fully consummated. Right now we see through a glass darkly as though our eyes were veiled. But one day Christ will return and we shall see face to face. We shall fully know Him. Joy and peace accompany Christians through sorrow and tribulations when they look back and know that Christ has already received their judgment, when they realize that in the present they have access to a loving Father, and when they look ahead, knowing that Christ will return and finish all that He has started. I wonder if I could pray for you and for all of us as you go through sorrow and hardship in your life that seem to suck 
the joy and the peace out of life. wonder if we could pray together that God would give us a clearer picture of such a great salvation that we've received in Him. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the work of our Savior Jesus Christ. It is undeserved. It is not because we are so lovable, but because we have such a loving and faithful Savior. We pray, Lord, that You would give us a renewed vision of the great gift that we have received in our Savior Jesus Christ. That it might fill our hearts with joy and peace and accompany us through every sorrow and tribulation. May we take great comfort in knowing that You have overcome the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.